Well, hello, good day, and uh, welcome to yet another edition of our podcast, Offside Musings, um, which I do with my co-host, Emeka Onyagwa. Uh, in this edition, we have a special uh, conversation about uh, the recent election, governorship election, uh, that took place in Anambra State, one of Nigeria's 36 states. Uh, we're going to x-ray that election. We're going to look at the, um, the lessons of, of that election um, and um, also examine how the, that election will have, will reverberate, uh, hopefully, uh, in elections coming up. Uh, in Nigeria in 2023, when Nigeria has its general elections coming up. Um, my first thoughts on that election, that the, ele the recent election in Anambra State, which happened on November 6. Um, first of all, uh, here were the takeouts from that election. The first one is that uh, lots and lots of people came out to vote, uh, which was somewhat in question until election day because uh, over the last few months in the lead up to the elections, uh, there had been uh, a big spike in violence in, in Anambra State with some high profile murders of, of, uh, of people, uh, including uh, Dr. Chike Akunyele, the uh, husband of the late uh, minister, uh, Dora Akunyele. Uh, it was a high-profile, shocking, gruesome uh, daytime assassination uh, that really shook up um, uh, the state. But that election, uh, that uh, uh, particular uh, murder was preceded uh, and uh, succeeded also by several other uh, killings um, um, of, of figures and of people, some of them young people uh, who are rather faceless. And so there was a sense that perhaps all of this violence was orchestrated to create a sense of insecurity in the state and thereby to dampen uh, voter uh, excitement and voter turnout. Uh, Bucking that prediction, the people of Anambra State came out in huge, huge numbers um, willing to vote. I'm going to speak in a moment about why that was the case, why so many people came out. But it's important to also note that the one major disappointment was that a new system that INEC had uh, touted and promoted, um, which is supposed to be technologically uh, impregnable and reliable, turned out not to be so reliable after all. And so I spoke to uh, somebody, a friend in Nigeria, and uh, who said that it took him three hours 
to be able to vote. And even so, he was one of the lucky few. A lot of the people who came out to vote, uh, the new technology could not recognize uh, their faces, could not recognize their fingerprints. And so this friend of mine told me of somebody who went at least five times to try to get accredited uh, to vote and was unable to vote. So here was a situation where there was a big turnout for the election. Unfortunately, INEC failed a lot of the voters who were unable to vote. So that's a big takeaway. And I think that um, it's, it's unfortunate that we have in Nigeria uh, a constant change of systems of voting in, in the country. Uh, so my hope is that a INEC is going to find the simplest possible system to enable every Nigerian who comes out to vote to be able to vote but also to find a system that is secure. And that's one, depart that one dimension where the voting system in Anambra was really superb. Everybody agreed that it was more difficult, uh, almost impossible to rig this election. And so the politicians in the state who have always depended on rigging elections, on falsifying results, on applying fraud, uh, simply found themselves stumped for the first time. And so this was wonderful. Okay, so the election came and held, and Nigeria actually did credit uh, to itself um, that within moments of the closure of polling, that results were tabulated and publicly announced, and they were then transmitted electronically to the headquarters. And so everybody who was at the polling boat could take a picture of the votes that were um, uh, uh, cast in any, uh, every particular polling boat, uh, and those votes were tabulated and openly announced before they were transmitted. And so this was um, another uh, uh, worthwhile development that we should, um, uh, we should note. Um, in terms of security, um, as I said, I alluded to earlier, there was this buildup of tension uh, owing to the violence that preceded the election. And in response, uh, President Muhammad Buhari held uh, a meeting, a special meeting of his security uh, um, uh, uh, personnel. And uh, they, they came out and announced that the government was going to guarantee uh, security of, of uh, movement and uh, security of the voters who decided to come out and vote. Uh, the uh, law enforcement uh, personnel in the country announced that there were 34, almost 35,000 police officers and uh, uh, Department of State Security officers and uh, other 
military and paramilitary units that came into Anambra State to secure the election. On the one hand, the result was that, uh, for the most part, there was um, little, if any, acts of violence throughout the state on the election. But for me, this is not something to gloat over. Because if it takes 34,000 police officers and other units of law enforcement, as well as units of um, military forces, to secure one state, and Anambra State, in terms of landmass, is, 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 is small. So if it takes all these, um, all these, uh, all this show of state power to create the space for people to vote, then you ask yourself, are we going to have a million security people fanning out in all parts of Nigeria every time that there is a general election in the country? So it speaks, in my view, to, uh, to perhaps an antiquated um, uh, idea of law enforcement, that we need to transition to a more sophisticated, a more savvy, uh, less human dependent, a more technolog technological um, uh, system of securing our space. Uh, the use of intelligence, the infiltration of, of groups of criminals and terrorists within the country, and any country that is really serious ought to be able to do this. So we don't need uh, that many police officers, uh, DSS officers, the military and so on descending uh, uh, in a, on a state in order to guarantee free and fair elections. So let's talk about the election proper. A week before the election, there was uh, a widely watched a political debate that featured the candidate of the All Progressives Grand Alliance, Professor Chukuma Soludo, the candidate of the People's Democratic Party, uh, Val Ozibo, and the candidate of the uh, All Progressives Congress, uh, Andy Oba. Um, I think that that debate clarified for voters the choice before them. Most people who watched that debate came out with the clear, unambiguous impression that there were indeed two candidates in that election, and that's Professor Soludo and Val uh, Ozibo. Anduba, it was clear, was in over his head. Anduba, it was clear to every viewer who watched that debate, uh, simply did not belong on the podium. Um, Anduba of the APC um, uh, exposed his intellectual bankruptcy 
um, and also just exposed his inability to articulate, to express in clear language um, whatever he, you know, he proposed to be his plan for the state. And so if you looked at the result of that election, you saw that Soludo uh, came first, you know, in a very decisive way, followed by Ozibo, with Andy Oba coming a distant third. Um, so this was, um, and I'm going to speak later uh, on in the program about uh, the great po positive service that Andy Oba actually did uh, for the people of Anambra State. Um, anybody who's been following my writings in journalism, uh, Nigerian papers over the years, will know that I became um, perhaps at one point the lone voice pointing to Andy Oba's intellectual uh, emptiness, uh, that this Andy Oba was, uh, is a particular phenomenon that is almost tailor-made for the space called Nigeria. That here is a guy uh, who claimed at one point to have a master's degree and a PhD degree, which he clearly did not have, um, uh, and claimed to have a first degree, which he doesn't have, by the way. And so what happened at that debate was that uh, Soludo uh, actually then exposed something that I had also known for, 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 for a while, that Andy Oba's school certificate, his secondary school certificate, his, um, um, uh, for those of you who are in America, his high school diploma uh, is forged, okay? And yet, this guy uh, was just this far away uh, from becoming uh, the governor of Anambra State. In fact, he was smuggled into office by a different, morally inept, discredited INEC, um, declared him the winner. I remember that in the so-called election that uh, produced him in 2007, that Andioba actually scored more votes were allocated to him by INEC, by the Electoral Commission, than were registered voters in the state at the time. So I remember writing a column where I said that Andrew Bach got a ghost mandate that people who had died somehow had risen from their graves to vote for Andrew Bach. That's how ridiculous uh, a, a figure this man cuts in our politics. But I think that the wonderful thing that happened was that Andy Oba, in a sense, cooperated, collaborated in his own unmasking. Okay? Um, Andy Oba had no business being on that stage. If he was on the stage for the debate, his role should have been to fetch a cup of water for the two real candidates who were sitting on that, uh, who were standing. Uh, on that podium, uh, Soludo and Ozibo. Um, but as I said, later we're going to talk about just the bravery, the sheer bravery of, of Andy Oba uh, in deigning um, uh, to, to come and stand 
the stage with with uh, with real candidates and how that has perhaps permanently demystified him uh, so i look forward to uh, the, the conversation today and uh, it's an exciting exciting subject and we're going to talk about the lessons that we can carry over from the Anambra elections for uh, the elections that are coming up, uh, general elections in our country, in Nigeria, in 2023. So thank you again for joining us. And please relax and enjoy this conversation. Thank you. Interesting take, though. Um, I mean, that was one of the big things of that election. Um, Andy Oba. Um, I mean, he, he has a long history, and for those who don't know, Andy Oba is a man who I believe famously went um, not to go too far back, but a passenger goes into prison. Um, he gets arrested at the airport um, by the um, um, so-called Phantom Coup. Um, I mean, we could go a lot, a lot deeper into the details of how um, these coups happen. Um, because you know he was it was the allegation was not to go too far off this thing the allegation was that a, a passenger gave his blessing to a coup um yeah which involved Yaradu and this thing but um overall there wasn't any because a passenger at that point in time was in, was in the UN when this allegation was and he was you know even Jimmy Carter was like are you sure you want to go back and then he goes back bottom line is a passenger gets ends up getting arrested um ends up escaping execution multiple times, surprisingly. Um, Yaradua wasn't so lucky. He was reportedly by most um, accounts, and by his accounts, he was... Uh, Yaradua was... Um, Musa Yaradua was the, so the supposedly co-accomplice, didn't survive. I'm stressing that to say Obasanjo came out, and the first thing he did reportedly was that um, he... Spend, he comes to America to spend time. Yeah, and uh, Obasanjo came to, to the United States, uh, was in California, and somehow ran into Andy Oba. There are all kinds of stories about it, yeah. That somehow Andy Oba's wife was either friends with or related to uh, Obasanjo's wife, uh, Stella Obasanjo. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but somehow uh, Andy, in his civility, in his unctuous uh, attention to Abbasanjo must have impressed the heck out of the man that Abbasanjo hired him um, in the position of uh, uh, special assistant on domestic matters. Mm -hmm. you know, at the debate, Soludo basically distilled down uh, the meaning of that to say that Andy was a glorified houseman. <laughs> uh, well, but you know, you got to, you got to be. I, I, I thought that Soludo actually went too far. Okay, was, okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I thought that Soludo uh, should have exercised some restraint there. You know, mm -hmm. um, the special assistant to the president of Nigeria on domestic matters should be regarded as a special assistant on domestic matters, <laughs> uh, not as a housewife. So I want, I want that to be on record. But, but also, Soludo's point, uh, broader point, I think, is that Andy held what in any other country should be regarded as an inconsequential position. Uh, so there was nothing 
no challenge, no strategic thinking, uh, therefore no strategic acumen that Andy could have uh, acquired from that role that prepared him for uh, subsequent uh, enthronement as the governor of a state or uh, that prepared him to be uh, an, an impactful senator. So, um, and so it's no surprise that, uh, I mean, of course, we were lucky that after Anduba was uh, imposed by INEC clearly uh, in 2007 as a governor of Anambra State, that the Supreme Court did the right thing by ruling that uh, Peter Obi had not finished his tenure and they are thereby removing Anduba. So that actually uh, skirt the question, the broader question of whether Anduba was properly elected. He wasn't. Okay. Um, how do you know that an election is, uh, is a credible one? You know it from the response of the electorate, from the response of the people. So Soludo becomes the, uh, is declared the winner of the November 6th election in Anambra State. And there is great celebration. People are out there buying beer, uh, just hugging on the, in, on the streets and so on. Yeah, everybody who you talk to said, now we can exhale with relief. When Andrew Bad became the governor uh, in 2007, not through the will of the people, but through an imposition by INEC, Anambra, in the words of somebody who spoke to me then, said, Anambra is like a funeral. Okay? So that's when you know that the people did not vote for this guy. And um, yeah, so incidentally, I, I'm sure that you know about a statement issued, I think, yesterday or so by Andy Obama's political campaign. Uh, <laughs> what rejecting, do you like? <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the, the trouncing that... Uh, I, think, I think they even had their own um, um, projected results or something like that. You know, which is, you see, Andy's legacy is that wherever Andy has won anything, anything politically, uh, whether it's a party primary, and of course there's a larger question, right, of was he even a proper candidate for the APC? I don't know if you know, but uh, a court was to pronounce on November 4, because George Morgalo, uh, who wanted to contest for the primary of the PDP, of the APC, sorry, actually has gone to court saying that uh, the panel that the APC sent to conduct the election was just basically uh, taken by Anduba and given results that they went ahead and announced, okay? And so the court was to pronounce on that on November 4, but I understand that Andy's counsel uh, prevailed on the court to delay the judgment till December 20 or something. I fully expect that the court on December 20 uh, is going to announce that Anjuba was not properly nominated by his party and therefore that he wasn't even technically speaking a candidate of the APC in the election. Mm. And, and so part of the argument that his people have made is that Andy polled something like 200 plus thousand, okay? In the primary, the primary that he hold. Yeah. 
And so how come he's getting only 50-something votes, 50-something thousand votes in the general election? The onus is on Andy Obak to explain exactly that question. How could you have got 200 and 200 plus thousand votes in a so-called primary, okay, when you couldn't muster more than 50,000, uh, when you mustered only 50-something thousand the general election itself. It tells you that Andy, for the first time, perhaps for the second time in his career, the first time was when he lost the Senate. Okay, he seated the Senate, uh, in the Senate to uh, Ifan Yoba. Uh, so perhaps for the second time in his political career, Andy's know-how, which is to rig elections, was checked. Yeah. I mean, it's very interesting, man. I mean, there's the there's the Andy Oba angle of it. There's the um, the general angle of uh, it seemed like, given the choices that were there, the, the people's will at the final box was reflected. Probably, I would say. Um, I don't know how much rigging still took place and how much irregularities might have taken place, but. It does seem like if you go from the pulse talking with people, it does seem like the overall will of people based on the three or four major choices. There was the ADC guy who didn't even vote for himself. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that one. The guy comes, the guy comes out and he was the first person that, that gives the congratulatory message. Let me get my words out. So anyway, he's the first person that come. And then it turns out that, you know, they, they actually had a video of him where he was voting. Yes. And he wasn't even voting. For himself. You know. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, <wasn't even laughs> it was so funny, man. I was just watching. I was like, actually, wow. Actually, I, um, I, I, you know, my prediction is that when Andy Oba went in there into the polling boat, if Andy Oba had a moment of self-scrutiny that perhaps he voted either for Soludo or <laughs> that would be actually you know that's something that will make me um, very sympathetic to Andy because you know in the Socratic sense mm-hmm. in the sense of Socrates Socrates talks about self-knowledge and self-knowledge comes from examining our life opening ourselves up to to difficult self-examination and when you open yourself up to that kind of examination there is a a humility uh, and an essential modesty that become uh, that, that, that will become evident okay and one expression of that humility and modesty is for somebody to say, I really want to be governor of Anambra State, but I went out on that stage with Soludo and, uh, and Ozibo, and I was schooled by them. You know, it was as if I was uh, an elementary school student in a debate with a PhD student, okay? And not just any elementary school student, but a poor elementary school student. So if you have to vote, uh, if this elementary school student wants to impress us that he has learned something, that can be expressed in saying, okay, 
I shouldn't vote for myself. I should vote for my betters. And that was Soludo and Ozebo. Yeah, it, it was it was very interesting because I mean definitely they had all the plans and the machinations and we we had different stories which didn't really add up about various amounts that Andy had paid. Um but I mean clearly there was money exchanged from his camp, um and probably a few other candidates that wanted to win. Um it was supposed to be for the highest bidder, apparently, and uh, Andy is supposed to be the person with the willingness and the deepest pockets combined to 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 go into that 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 you know um venture supposed to be by the way um obviously their political godfathers are back people are also you know but um none of that played out in terms of yeah. that well in our in in fairness to Andioba, okay and we one of the things that we made a commitment to doing mm -hmm. when we started this podcast is that we're going to call it fairly. Right? Yep. And so we must um, we must be fair to Andioba. Our politics in Nigeria and the election in Anambra State uh, on November 6th, um, but our politics broadly, are marked and marred by uh, financial hanky-panky mm. on every level, whether it's uh, the, the, the bribing of electoral officials or the handing out of bribes to voters. And that's something that every political party in Nigeria does. And my intelligence is that every political party, uh, that uh, the major political parties who contest that contested the last election, governorship election in Nambra State, were bribing voters with cash. That has to stop. But I think that, um, and and we can't stress that enough. Okay, that that must stop. But in a sense. Part of what sustains that practice is the idea uh, on the part of voters that politicians go into office and they concern themselves primarily with self-enrichment. And so the voters see this interaction at the polls as their opportunity to cash in a little bit. But in embracing that politics, that toxic practice, the voters are caught in a catch-22 because you receive a few thousand naira and you cast your vote for the candidate who paid you. Okay, The candidate goes in there and feels then morally entitled because it's like they played the lottery. Mm -hmm. Okay, They spent a few dollars, a few naira, playing a lottery, they won big. So who is to then blame them if they stop providing uh, basic infrastructure, if they stop paying salaries, if they stop investing in the things that sustain society, okay? So voters ought to be careful in embracing this bargain that ultimately works against them, right? But there is, even within this terrible economy of, of, of bribery that goes on at the polling booths, 
there is a glimmer of hope. Um, somebody told me of a polling uh, place where the APC and the Obama's party um, toward at the as they as, as voting was about to end, just upped the game and started giving each voter fifteen thousand naira. Wow! Vote. And he said that the other parties who were giving money hmm. could not compete, but that a lot of the people who received the fifteen thousand still went in there and voted for the candidate because their their, their whole point is. Um, the person who provided this money, whether it's Andy Obama or whether it's his uh, political sponsors, did not earn that money. That often that money is already illicitly acquired. So people feel, my money has been stolen. 15000 right now should be, so, sorry, it would be probably about $25 somewhere around there. Is it up, is it up to somewhere at 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 five fifty? Let's say it's about twenty five somewhere, twenty five dollars per per. Anyway, I'll, I'll be surprised if it is up to twenty five now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, well, a hundred dollars is five hundred and Yeah, a hundred dollars is fifty five thousand. Fifty five thousand. So if somebody's giving you twenty five, fifteen thousand. Yeah. So that. Yeah. My math is yeah. still good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's closer, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's as, about 25, 30, yeah. As, as you can see, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but then again, you have a country that the minimum wage monthly is still 15,000. So yeah, essentially, for many it's still. People, you know, the minimum wage was 18,000. It technically uh, increased to 30,000. But most states and most businesses are not paying that. Yeah. So, so in a lot of ways, you are giving uh, voters something that amounts uh, in some sense to their annual uh, to their monthly salary to mm -hmm. cast a vote yeah okay and um but excuse me um i hope that and and there were places where this happened where people were actually given money by the apc and the people rejected the money outright okay so that was quite impressive uh, the next stage of, of, of admirable conduct was uh, people who took money and then went and voted their conscience as it were. So they did not let the inducement dictate uh, how, how they voted. Mm. I, 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 to me, I just come down on the, on the path of um, I don't really feel the vote itself has ever been has, has ever counted as such there's been one election which they didn't feel the only reason i feel that election was counted overall that was 93 abiola election was the fact that you know you we talked about it i even need to i we need to put out those that clip you know how you gave ibb his name maradona dribbles dribbles but he had so rigged the process that he was so sure that the outcome they wanted was assured so they didn't even bother actually rigging the votes and that's the only because if you go back to nigeria in the 50s the the if we're still arguing over it till tomorrow was was zeke supposed to be the premier of the western region you know the the walk um, um uh, ethnic baits you know there's still this argument between different ethnic groups over this kind of so it's never been the case you know so to me giving people money in an election is just a, a way of of compromising your conscience that 
we are going to declare who we want as the that this is where i always sit but because we've given you money you have no right to protest or say anything you need to keep quiet and accept that yeah. you know I god mean, has given us this position it used to be it used to be uh you know a few cups of rice uh, a cup or two of salt uh, and then they graduated to money you know yeah. that's, uh, money becomes an easy thing to hand out and so when you hear the sums of money that politicians i mean just in the primaries of all these pol major political parties um, i know that in some of the parties uh, in the prelude to their primaries some candidates were so financially buoyant that they were buying up to 50 cars to give out as gifts okay and there is a medical doctor us-based medical doctor who was a candidate and he uh, uh, reportedly was giving you know he would call a meeting and give everybody who was there 50,000 naira <laughs> and so the other candidates uh, of the PDP you know uh, called him you know to call the meeting and said listen we can't spend more than 3,000 because we don't have money to you know so they made a pact to spend 3,000 as gift per person and so what this guy did was uh, people will gather for his meetings and he will give 3,000 and say that's the maximum we are allowed to give. And then he said, but I have a foundation that is supporting me. So that foundation has asked me to give you 50,000. So people will collect 50-something thousand. And of course, this candidate lost woefully within his own party, you know, partly because of the internal contradictions in the way political parties hold their primaries. So the truth is that we have to rethink the way that each political party organizes itself internally, its internal affairs for elections. Because ultimately, you find that money is still um, uh, as such an inordinate um, um, role in political choice so the, the people with the highest the largest uh, pot of cash or with the most uh, materially endowed supporters end up getting securing the mandate and often they are not anywhere close to the best candidates so in a country um, where there are urgent problems that need to be addressed to to have the worst of candidates but simply those who have the money or have the financial backing from the wealthy coming up as candidates is to reduce the innovativeness the originality the genius uh, of ideas that uh, we need to bring to bear on the problems of individual states as well as the collectivity of the Nigerian nation. And that, you know, at some point we can talk about mm -hmm. this election and the broader lesson for. Yeah. We're going, to, we're going to be transitioning to that now. So, I mean, that, I mean, that, that begs the question. Uh, we're going to be transitioning to that. That begs the question like, okay, 
you had um um what they call it you had uh, the pdp which end, ends up long story coming up swallowing up for the most part the other parties um and eventually when there's an internal revolt that's this is just a summary of it you know when there's an internal revolt in the pdp um they form the apc from the same pdp people who just you know change their agbadas and um carry some broom <laughs> like some magic thing and then they form their apc um in this case you know you have abga which um people you could say it's a regional party to a large to, to a large degree um, a party. You, you could look at it 100 percent regional party um where after the seasoning of um um mecca ojuku because mm-hmm. he, he has a a a seesaw history with yeah. Igbo people um wasn't liked at, at at the beginning of um prior to the pogroms and then the distant and then going into the civil war it made him a national hero but you know there's obviously something you, you, you covered back in the day the way he came back and the way he treated the political elites and then he ran and then he lost um his senate elections and stuff so it was much much he ran to the center for for that he didn't even just become you know it's a it's a much obviously much deeper conversation but he comes in and at the end of the day he he literally uh, elects Peter Obi to a large degree. I don't know if you disagree with that, but he literally no, pulls no, up no, and he literally I, I makes Abga. Agree, yeah, yeah he, he literally makes Abga. Um, and, and all this is, it, the, the thing is, can a smaller, just tied into what you're saying, can a smaller organized um, party entity do what, you know, while moving forward in Nigeria, can a smaller organized party entity, political organization, um, can they do can they pull this up with the nigerian ecosystem mm-hmm. let's um is it a one-off okay so so this is um in some ways um and i was just discussing this with with a friend a few days ago that um that apga uh perhaps is the is 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 it is, is a political party in the truest sense of, of, of political party in Nigeria. This, and this is what I mean. Um, that people see Abaga as, not just as a political party, but as a movement, as almost a kind of movement that, that embodies something of their, of their hope, whatever that hope is, okay? So, um, Ojuku, uh, the late Biafran leader um, gave Apaga a kind of credibility when he stood behind Peter Obi and Peter Obi won. And, uh, and in, when Peter Obi was going for re-election, there were questions about how uh, he'd run his first term and people had profound questions about this. But um Ojuku again stood behind him and Peter Obi um uh sort of pledged that he was a life life that he was gonna be a lifelong member of Africa, that he was never going to abandon Africa even after leaving uh, office. He reneged 
movement, obviously, <laughs> that, you know, is a politician. Politicians do that sort of thing. Um, but that Abga has messed up quite a bit. Okay, Abga has messed up. I mean, in uh, in the general elections, uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, Abga did a lot of wrong uh, in in the way, the very undemocratic way in which candidates were chosen. Uh, so I think that Abga could have easily controlled Abia State and Imo State if they had done the right thing. But apparently there were forces that uh, intervened and put in the wrong candidates just for financial exchange. And so uh, the people of Imo State, the people of Abia State did not forgive the party. And so the party lost disastrously. And that, I think that to some extent... Um, uh, Governor uh, Obiano, Willie Obiano, was, um, I think his critics would agree that he did had a very solid first term in office. His second term was shaky for several reasons. Uh, first of all was that he, he was accused of being nepotistic, surrounding himself with too many people from Aguleri sometimes so that people began to talk about the Aguleri Mafia, okay? And so that power in Anambra State of political power was personalized in one town, okay? And that the governor didn't necessarily sur surround himself with people who would do him and his legacy credit. And so that his second time was marked by, um, was not marked by uh, the kind of achievement that people expected uh, given the way that the first time ran, right? Um, and yet, I think the governor somewhat redeemed himself in uh, uh, letting a candidate like Soludo to emerge, you know? And Soludo, um, I think, inspired hope uh, in uh, in the people of Anambra State, that he understands what it what this is all about, and one's hope is that this will translate into his actions once he becomes uh, once he becomes governor. And this is one area where I fault Peter Obi's uh, statecraft. I think that Peter would be, if he had a broader vision, could have positioned APGA to take uh, over uh, some more southeastern states. I think that Imo State easily could have been in play and Abia State. Um, Enugu perhaps not so much, uh, but Ebony could have been in play. But I think that Peter B limited his vision to just, he was satisfied with being in control in Anambra and that was it. And then ensuring that, uh, you know, the party succeeded him, right? Um, I think, I, as, again, as I said, Obiano was a big success in his first term. He undertook some uh, bold projects 
You did? Um, huh? I didn't feel it the last time I was there, though. You didn't feel it? I didn't feel it. Well, okay. So when I say bold, let me, let me sort of uh, go back and correct myself because I'm actually a critic of what goes for bold in, in our state, right? That's right. Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, so one clear achievement of Obiano's uh, first term was the return to the state of a robust sense of security, okay? So I remember that at one point when Peter Obi was governor, uh, kidnappings and robberies were so prevalent that people were doing traditional weddings in Lagos and Abuja and elsewhere. Yeah. Because if you came home and you held a big traditional wedding, you were expected to be either kidnapped or uh, armed robbers to attack you. So Obiano came and set up whatever architecture that he put in place. And, um, uh, and he used community intelligence. Because within communities, people know the bad elements, the criminal elements, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Soludo, I mean, not Soludo, I hope Soludo sustains it, but Obiano, <laughs> Obiano set up a system where in every community, a few people were hired who will give intelligence to the law enforcement. And so if there were young people or some adults whose means of livelihood were in question, or who were suspected of criminal activity, they were let, they were notified that they were being watched, okay? And then there was an investment in the technology that detected phone signals. When people were kidnapped and you called for ransom, they have this technology that will dictate where you were and you will be surrounded, isolated, and then attacked. So the few people who attempted to kidnap people were then picked up, right? Peter Obi sort of started it. Peter Obi started a policy that if you are implicated in a kidnap or robbery, you are the house where you lived or any asset you had will be destroyed. Okay. Destroyed. Yeah. Not so, even so seized. No, not uh-huh. even seized. You know, which raised, you know, all kinds of problems. But you know, it worked because um, landlords who had criminals, because you know, if you are renting an apartment and you commit a crime there, the, apartment, the whole block will be destroyed. Why, for spiritual purposes? I guess that was, uh, that was the, the government's way of saying to, to people, if you are a co-tenant and you know that your fellow tenant is a criminal, report him. If you're a landlord and you're renting to a criminal, report the criminal because you st- stood to lose a uh, big way, in a big way, if the criminal was detected and traced to 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 your place, uh, any home where a kidnapped uh, victim was kept was destroyed. So, Wellobiano came and sustained that, and so suddenly I'll go to Anambra State and I'll drive out at night. I I will go to Anambra and be on the road at one a.m. And the interesting thing was that there were markets. I would drive through towns and their markets were open at 1 a.m. And people were walking around, bars were open and so on. And I'd never seen a thing like this, okay? Then the post-election violence began and almost seemed to undermine the whole thing. So Soludo has a challenge to reinvigorate that sense of security. Now, 
Obiano also built some roads, and I've always said that to build roads is not an achievement, okay? It is our third world sensibility that makes us think that if a governor builds uh, a, you know, some stretches of road, that is an achievement. Uh, you and I know that road building should go without saying, right? It should. Um, so, but Obiano did that, and it's the sort of thing that people were praising. But with the rains, the kind of heaviness of the rains, the reports I get now all of, from all over is that the roads are washed off. So again, I've always said that there is very little quality control compliance and enforcement in our space generally. So contractors get a contract to build roads and technically what they do is the equivalent of just painting the road black. So the first heavy serious rain comes and the roads are washed off. So uh, voters, as I said, voters forgave APGA and so Soludo should, in a sense, pay uh, <laughs> a debt that the voters have said, we're going to forgive you this, but we want you to, to pay it to us. The roads are so terrible. Everybody I speak with tells me that all the roads, and I was just in Nigeria uh, you know, in, in December and uh, January of, of this, this year, right. and the roads were reasonably good. I hear that all those roads are now terrible. So they are impassable, they are gutted, uh, some roads are broken, and so on and so forth. So quality control, so Soludo not only has to build roads, and I'm not going to call it an achievement when it does, it's what should go without saying that governments should do, at minimum. But he should ensure for the first time that there is quality in the roads and that there should be maintenance of our roads. We shouldn't wait until the roads become impassable or have split into two before we pay them attention, okay? But uh, you know, to go back to the question of, of APGA, that there is some kind of an emotional appeal mm -hmm. that the party holds, so that when so, uh, the, uh, Obiano was going for re-election, he won 21 of the 21 local governments. In re-election? Yes. And Soluda has won 19 of the 21. The PDP won one, and the Ifanyo about one in his uh, yeah. area. The thing about all these things, right, is that I just feel like um, good governance, yes, you know, like we just, like doing roads for some people is like a big do, but I just feel overall yeah. a, a certain level of good governance just makes 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 it appealing i don't i don't know for a fact that abga has had good governance i i would i would have, especially being a very regional um Igbo core party mm -hmm. i feel like if there's anything you guys should be delivering it should be good but i don't see it because i just i see better than average mm -hmm. maybe like at the time of um Peter will be coming in. We had like Ubadunju, yeah. which maybe is the worst. Well, <laughs> we had we had Ubadunju, then we had Ngige, and Ngige was already beginning to. Of course, Ngige was an illegitimate governor as well. Yeah, you know, um, he was uh, ridden by the PDP. I don't even count him as governor because he ended up getting removed by the courts. He got removed. Yeah. He spent 
almost uh, three years, right? Yeah. So, which is why technically it would be the high courts then decided that uh, the Supreme Court decided that P2B had not served out his term because he was rigged. He was rigged out, mm -hmm. and he went to court, and it took a while to get to before, before he reclaimed his mandate. So, yeah. And that's why P2B again is important politically that he stood his ground, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in the face of appeals by different politicians and so on. I actually wrote columns telling him that it isn't even up to you. Even if you wanted to cede the governorship to Ngige, I said, the people gave you a sacred mandate. I said, you don't have the right to say you are now, you know, giving it to Ngige. And I, Ngige, I knew Ngige, right? I didn't know Peter B at the time. But I, and Ngige did a fairly okay job, you know, but Nju was owing a huge backlog of salaries and pensions. Ngige began to pay them off and so on, and again began to build roads. Unfortunately, we are now in the situation in Nigeria where <laughs> it's like, when you say to people, um, you know, what do you think of this government? They say, oh, they are trying, they are building roads, <laughs> they are paying salaries, you know. So, so things that are so basic, and that's what, that's my hope is that Soludo is going to, and if he doesn't, it's going to be his shame. If Soludo doesn't take the game to a different level, okay, mm -hmm. then it will be a mockery of the experience that he touted at his interview and of his knowledge, okay? So he has to find a way to make Anambra a transitional space, okay, where other states will now say, this is the way to go. This is, this is how to take the game to a different level, okay? So create uh, opportunities for businesses to thrive, empower young people, reform the educational system so education is meaningful and, and students are trained to be problem solvers, not simply people who are dazzled in the face of problems and so on. With so, people with certificates who are dazzled. Precisely. <laughs> so what, what we have in Nigeria, you know, and I, 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 was, I was a Fulbright uh, professor at the University of Lagos, and I was shocked that there were students uh, in third year in high school, in, 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 in the English department, who couldn't speak one correct sentence to save their lives. <laughs> and, and, you know, I remember a scandalous answer that a student wrote, a question I asked on Things Fall Apart. I said, account for Concourse tragic downfall. And this student wrote out, the Bible tells us not to be bad, because if we are bad, then we will fall. So Okonkwa did not listen to the Bible, so he fell. So that is why it is good to listen to the Bible. I mean, this is a third-year student, okay, who couldn't take perhaps the easiest possible question you, 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 know, you could ask. Oh. On that, uh, oh, man. widely read now. It's, it's a Okonkwa don't listen to the Bible. Okonkwa did the, the Bible tells us that. Was Okonkwa a Christian? Obviously, this this woman, it, it, it was a woman, uh, had not read the book, you know, and um, uh, you know, I had students who who were uh, adult students who had jobs. 
and uh, one of them came to me three weeks at the end of the semester and said, ah, so I'm in the customs, uh, so they don't give us time to attend their classes, so I've not been in any class. So I said, so don't take the, my exam. She said, ah, so, but I want to take it. I said, you will fail. She said, she said, God will not allow. I said, no. I said, there's no magic. God doesn't do magic, okay? Yeah. I said, if you don't take classes, you haven't read the books, that we've read in this class, there's no point taking the, taking the exam. And it's, I'm sure it's somebody like her who got the question, at, uh, you know, account for a conquest tragic downfall, and she fell. Oh, somebody fell, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the Bible told, tells us. <laughs> you know, yeah. God, God will make that answer right. Oh, my God. But no, God doesn't participate it, you know, in, I, in foolishness. I, I, I'm going to transition to the wider impacts for this thing, yeah. but before we go there, <laughs> it's just, I go, I go on Clubhouse, but I say it all the time on this on this podcast, I go on Clubhouse, I get to feel the pulse. It's like Twitter for this thing, for voices. Um, and you encounter people. Tell you whether they schooled in Nigeria, they schooled. And if you are uh, schooled in Nigeria and then they, they, you know, went maybe to the UK, mostly to the UK. And yeah, I encounter them. And it's just this kind of thing you're talking about. Even when they want to make academic points, especially the ones that, with all due respect, the ones that ended up reading law. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nigeria, I don't know what they, what they teach them in Nigerian law or what. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know. They have this, uh, I mean, Lennon, you're an educated person. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> so, so, you know, they, they, they just start regurgitating, you know, without understanding any, exactly, without understanding so even the ones that you'd say, ah, these guys are, or these ladies are, and you're having a conversation with them, it ends up just being somebody regurgitating something verbatim. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, man, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't really get it, or you don't, you know, you're not really um, trying to, like the question you asked, why did the Concord feel? There's a reason, to, there's a wider distance that you're trying to put, That's but right. maybe the best you get is somebody that will just verbatim, up. Okonkwa failed because he went for me to be, which is cool still, but it doesn't, um, you know, you're not, ac- academic exercise for me is about thinking overall. And uh, in, that, in that regard, it's just like, so in that regard for this, it's, it's it's what's the wider impl- what, I mean, how do we look at the wider implications for um, Nigeria? What might happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, I had all kinds of permutations. People are saying it's you know, and you know, in a way, it, it might be a good storm because a lot of those people that have held Nigeria hostage for a long time are fast aging. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they have their ages in their seventies, still a lot of them do not look like they are in their seventies. You know. Mm-hmm. They are not, they don't have the volatinable, all these guys that they are propping up for 2023 do not um, seem Mm -hmm. like they have the rigor for it. Now, we saw Joe Biden get elected in America. We see uh, Bernie Sanders should have gotten elected um, four years ago if they had let him, but um, that's just my own take. We have seen, but it's a different system. In Nigeria, I don't foresee some of these guys um, having the strength to this thing, but that doesn't stop them from having their cronies, alacolites, lackeys, um, selected people, and even uh, whether it's their blood or not, um, being the ones that they will pass on the power to. That danger is there on one part, but overall, 
what would be the wider implications for because you know i wouldn't want to also overplay it in terms of like we talked about abga was pushed on by even in the even at the height of um andy uba literally taking uh christian gigi to the toilet to the forces beats him up and forth so uh, you know it's been there that abga has was actually been chris uba. Chris uba. The, you know i think it was decisive because before that uh debate there were still people who uh, didn't believe that the, the point that I made years ago that Andy and he doesn't have a first degree, doesn't have a. Of course, if you don't have a first degree, what was he doing in America, though? Okay, so Andy, uh, first of all, lived in Canada, went to Concordia University, apparently, but flunked out after a, a semester or two, right? Mm. Then he went to uh, move to LA and uh, took classes at uh, university and flunked out. Okay, mm. and by all accounts, he was a cab driver for some time, and then he owned uh, um, a business where uh, Nigerians, mostly who had accidents, automobile accidents, some people will suggest that those accidents were orchestrated, mm. uh, had to go for massage mm. um, by some Nigerian doctors who ultimately. Uh, some of them had to flee uh, in the face of uh, investigation by the FBI, right? Wow. And so, so basically, Andy uh, was somebody of very uh, modest at best means in America until he met Obasanjo, went to Nigeria, warmed his, himself into Obasanjo's heart through acts of... Um, of just absolute um, uh, civility, you know. Um, and so Abbasanjo trusted him and he made a killing because Abbasanjo ran a very corrupt government. And so Andy oversaw a lot of that, those uh, mm. underhanded deals and so on. So he made a lot of money. But to, in order not to lose sight of the question you raised, I think that we should institute a practice uh, that anybody who, who wants to hold a major office, political office in the country, whether it's uh, to be in the House of Reps or to be in the Senate or to be in uh, a governor or the president or vice president, uh, that there should be a political debate mm. televised, okay? Uh, among the candidates of the maybe three or four main political parties so that the viewers, the, the voters would then have a clear view of how you present yourself and what program you propose to pursue, right? Uh, and this will do two things. One is that it's a process of, it enables readers to scrutinize these candidates and also, it's, uh, it holds you to the promises you made. So in case you go into office and you start doing something else, people had you on the debate stage saying, this is what you're going to do. So it's a way of holding candidates accountable. But once people see this, I think that the Tinubus and the Atikus, okay, and the Buharis, okay, and all Jews or Kalos of our political space are going to disappear. Because they're going to stand on that stage and display their mere mediocrity, okay? 
And I think that uh, lesser known candidates, but who have a grasp of issues and who have evinced the technical know-how to run a modern society, because that's what Nigeria needs. Nigeria needs to transform and transition quickly into a modern society, which it isn't. You know? So we all think that if we, if we hold our cell phones that we're a modern society, we're not, right? So, so that's one. Debates are essential. Debates made a huge difference in the election in Anambra State. The other thing, the other key thing is that INEC must uh, invest in a simple but foolproof system to render it, uh, make it easier for voters to vote, and once they voted, for the votes to be sacred and not simply uh, changed by somebody writing. Ask, the asking the government to do something. Well, you know, but and they the, should do. But, but the citizens, but, you know, like what happened in Anambra State. So the elections, the results were tabulated, published right there, and people took uh, pictures. So if people have taken pictures of all the votes cast in this unit, and the electoral commissioners, I mean, the electoral officers were there, they knew they couldn't write the result, the false result. If you announce it, you face the possibility of being lynched by people. Mm -hmm. Okay, if uh, Soludo won an election and you announce that Andy won at that polling, but people will lynch you. Mm -hmm. okay? Of course, if Andy won and you announce that he won, people will be happy. You will see that most of the people there are his supporters, so it will be clear, right? And so, um, if we start doing that honestly, so that votes, once they finish uh, voting, you tabulate, you display the results, and any party representative can take pictures. And so when all the pictures that people have got from all the polling votes do not agree with what they, what has been announced, people will know that rigging took place, right? And you can go back, uh, if somebody goes to court, he can muster all his, all his um, party agents who will show the picture, the authentic picture of what was announced at polling booths to demonstrate that the election was rigged. So, so that's another thing, right? Soludo was quite brilliant in articulating his political program. Ozibo was also quite admirable in the way he did it. Andy Oba just was lost. He couldn't, you know, he sold this is, uh, we have to engage, we have to look at it. You know, this is a problem we have to look at. You know, you could see that he was lost the other two candidates who had a program didn't have enough time. They constantly, you know, uh, went beyond time when they were speaking. Andy Oba often gave back time because he had nothing to say. You know, he was praying for time to pass <laughs> so that the agony uh, would end for him. So the other issue we need to address is the issue of security. As mm -hmm. I said, I don't know if this is true, but the Law enforcement agents said there were 35, 34,000, almost 35,000 police officers who were brought into Anambra State to secure the state. That's too many police officers for a small state like Anambra State. Too many, too many based on the amount they have in total. Precisely. Okay. Too many based on the amount 
of police officers in the country. Total, because in a national election, yeah. that that you that ratio can can, can be yeah, sustained. You cannot give every state, and there are states that are much bigger, more, bigger than yeah. Anambra, okay, and have more population, right? So if you are bringing in thirty-four thousand, let's even say that you give every state thirty thousand mm -hmm. in thirty-six states plus the federal capital. Where are you going to find 30 times 36, 30, I mean, we, the, the country is under-policed. The country is clearly under-policed. But, 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 but we're even worse under-technologized, you see. So, so the FBI doesn't, or the police, the local police here, you know, if you look at any uh, county in America, any town, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, the police are well-equipped, but they're also well-trained. They also use technology, okay, mm -hmm. uh, to fight crimes. You go to Manhattan and you hit somebody. There are cameras all over the place, okay? Mm -hmm. um, if there is a crime ring in America, after a while they are infiltrated by the police and law enforcement. Yeah. So somebody you are planning a criminal act with, it you know could be a, 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 a law enforcement person. I mean, they are well trained. I mean, they are simply yeah. well trained. They are, well, they are so better trained. So that's the kind of thing we need to start thinking about. It's not just putting bodies because we also know that, as you said, Nigeria is underpoliced. But the few that we have underperform, and they do the wrong thing, which is to stand by the roadsides and harass poor Nigerians for bribes, mm -hmm. you know, extort money from poor Nigerians. The other thing they do is that they now go in the convoys of... They are used as posses for security, security details. For the criminal elements who have destroyed Nigeria. Hype men. Now, now go around in vehicles and they can destroy, if you don't get out their way quickly, they can smash your win window. Police will smash your windows and continue. Okay? So the Nigerian police force, as we, we talked about this in the NSAS segment, right? Yeah. The Nigerian police uh, often acts like criminals themselves rather than uh, law enforcement. Uh, but by the way, the, the report that I got from people who were in Anambra said well, that the police were so well behaved that they were asking are there foreign police that were <laughs> But apparently, again, let us give credit to a man that I personally, I expect very little from and I've been very uh, critical of, President Muhammad Buhari. Because when Obasanjo was president, mm -hmm. Obasanjo always, basically either uh, in his utterance, declaring that elections were do or die affairs, or in his body language, encourage the police, the SSS, the DSS, and the other paramilitary to do what? To rig elections for candidates of his party. Um, organizational. So that's for you. You're, you're looking at it from an organizational perspective. Yes. You know, things need to be, people need to believe in a way like, man, there should be more organization and all that. Um, and I mean, I, 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 I do feel, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll keep saying it here on, on this podcast, I'll keep saying, I do feel like there's a sense of optimism. In a way, I also do feel I have a sense of deja vu. Because I've seen these episodes a lot of times. I remember Obasanjo, um, the first election, 99. I saw that election, you know, 
I wasn't old enough to vote and all that. But that being said, um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add in terms of um, how we should see, how, how, how do we see the match step by step as we move towards the next, um, at this point in time, it's 18 months. I should, it should be April of 2023, right? Mm-hmm. So we are in November of 2021. And we're looking at about roughly about eighteen months. Yes. So how do we see it? It's not, it's not that long yeah. a match. Well, I I, I think that um, they uh, and I've said this, you know, to to somebody that I regard uh, in some ways as a friend, Kinsley Morgan, um, who like Soludo can be articulate. Um, and there are other candidates uh, like him all over the country. And I think that there is a, a, a paradox in the fact that Nigeria is, uh, has a young, predominantly young population, 60-some percent of its population under 30. Mm-hmm. And yet it's run, or as I say, misrun by uh, geriatrics, okay? Um, so that the country is actually ripe for picking by an enlightened candidate. But that candidate has to seize the imagination of Nigerians. I think that part of what Soludo did, and I've been a critic of Soludo's in the past, right? But I think that what Soludo did was that he went around to every village and he spoke in Igbo, and he spoke to other audiences in, in English, and he connected, he spoke to their problems, and he sold himself as a person who has the intellectual wherewithal, who has the experience in public office, in public service, to address those problems. So he said, trust me. And so the people have entrusted him with this, with this mandate, right? So I've, I've always told uh, younger, enlightened uh, aspirants for political office, people like uh, Kinsley Moralu, that they have to do what an Obama did, okay? That Obama, uh, in a sense, went around and spoke to young people, okay? Spoke to their concerns. And young people get it in a way that uh, adult, you know, that... Older people do not. Older people have this investment in parochial, primordial uh, attachments to race and religion mm-hmm. and all, all such, uh, such things, right? But when you speak to young people, they understand that they don't have jobs. They understand that their parents have died because there were no medical facilities. They understand that uh, they don't have infrastructure in their country. They understand that um, there is no safety and security. They understand that they cannot count on the police to do the right thing, that the police would often do the criminal thing Mm -hmm. rather than fight crime. If you are able to use the language that young people understand and you go to campuses and you go to uh, uh, all the places that young people populate, which is like everywhere, and you speak to them and they buy into your message that you are not going there, I'm not saying you can't eliminate 
corruption because Nigeria is almost fashioned, built for corruption, even if you don't want to steal money. As a, as a governor, uh, somebody could take a car to your wife or take huge sums to your wife. And before you know it, mm -hmm. um, even if you say to your wife, return the car or something, <laughs> uh, they have established that they gave a, a car to your wife. And so they can make a case that, you know, and people could claim that, yeah, you, that you are collecting things from, you know, through your wife and so on. So, and at any rate, it's a space where we have um, uh, uh, immunity from prosecution, right? Mm -hmm. uh, guaranteed by the constitution so that even if a serving governor commits a crime openly, they say, oh, he has immunity, which we know that that's not the immunity in America, that a governor in America, okay, um, uh, who tried to sell uh, uh, Blagovich, who tried to sell Obama's seat, the FBI went to his office and shackled him and brought him out. Mm -hmm. Okay, So you can't be a governor and commit crimes and say, I have uh, immunity from prosecution. I mean, it depends on your constitution. Yeah, you know. yeah precisely. But, but we gave um, the most expansive definition, provision for immunity in our constitution, which is understandable because most Nigerian government officials want to go there to commit crimes and to self-enrich and so on. So they say, oh, we don't want anybody to disturb us. That's, that's the next next episode. We're so going to have a conversation on the Constitution. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, uh, so the point that I'm making is that 2023 uh, will come up quickly. Any serious candidate should be out there every day. We don't actually have time because that's what happens is that uh, the aspirants start late Okay, and then before you know it, everybody will say, oh, we, 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 you know, he doesn't have what it takes. We didn't know him. So start now to introduce yourself. Start now to do stunt speeches, go to campuses, go to polytechnics, universities, colleges of education, go to markets, connect to people, go to town unions, connect with people, come to America, speak, go to Britain, speak to constituents of Nigerians and sell your program if it makes sense nigerians want the best for their country okay a lot of us don't know how to get there a lot of us actually sabotage uh undermine what we want right but most nigerians that i've spoken to want a good country including the people who are fouling up the country that's mm -hmm. why i said that maybe andy Oba voted for one of the two <laughs> candidates, really serious candidates on the stage because he would want a good space in Anambra State so he can come in and out uh, and go to his hometown and drink palm wine. <laughs> so if our real candidate, so now we're, we, all the noise we hear is about, oh, will all Jews or Kalu run? Will, uh, will it be uh, Tinubu? Will Atiku come out with Malami? Do you understand? Mm -hmm. These are not serious candidates, okay? In the context of Nigeria, these are this should not, again, this should be people who fetch water for the candidates, okay? So Nigerians fantasize about an Obama, a Macron of France, and so on. Young people who have run their country, relatively young people. Well, it's in our power to elect young people, people who understand the world, not who understand how to steal, right? But we have to do it. But the candidates themselves also have to show up. Tinubu is showing up in his very crude way, 
having a pilgrimage to London to go see him as if London has become uh, a, an extension of Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Okay. That says something already. Whether he's sick or he's well, the fact that if he's sick, he's in London rather than being treated in Lagos, a state that he ran for eight years. If you run Lagos State well, you should have built the healthcare system so that if you are sick, you get treated in Lagos, right? Yeah. But he runs off to London and there is a, a steady stream of politicians going to see him. We can critique that kind of um, mediocrity and incompetence, but we're not doing it yet. And I hope that the candidates who really want to be president, the young, knowledgeable, enlightened, morally capable candidates better stand up to be recognized. Either they do that or Nigeria is going to fall to the default of choosing another buffoon <laughs> with a lot of money. Well, uh, you know, we got round up here, but on that distance, I've been in a couple of, maybe one, I think, a clubhouse room. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's two, where Kinsley Moalu was asked this question, alluding to what you're saying. And right now, Kinsley Moalu is in uh, Oxford. Oh, no, sorry. Let me not say Oxford. He's in England mm -hmm. as a visiting professor somewhere. I don't know if it's Oxford. Mm -hmm. I don't know the school. I can't remember. Let me, not, let me not misquote it. But he's a visiting professor. And people were asking him that question about being on the ground. But, you know... Um, you do have um, other candidates. Somebody actually did say that the fact that Shore has been, is almost like he orchestrated some of his problems because it shows that he's been, um, it, it, he's been living in Nigeria now for a long period in time and that in the next elections, he's bound to do well based on that being on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, kind of, I don't know. I've got no insight to that. I just know having conversations with people um, and a lot of it digital on, on uh, you know, social, social. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, uh, just going round off here. Uh, uh, any last words well, for Well, I think it's been a very invigorating conversation. It's been uh, a very, uh, Andy, Andy's a bad man conversation. Andy, well, <laughs> well, you know, I, well, the thing is, it's not, it's not just Andy's a bad man conversation because we've known that. It is. True. It is to speak about the uh, the comeuppance, the uh, the uh, the the fact that when people figure it out, okay, when you expose yourself, when you cooperate in your own unmasking, as a, as an inept person, as somebody uh, whose whose life is fiction, you know, because Andy's life. In a lot of ways, it's fiction. You know, he's uh, paraded himself before as a PhD, but he doesn't have the skills and as Rudy told him. Your result is, is my friend. How did he get into? Because how do you get into like Concordia and all this? Canada is very strict on that though. Yeah, yeah. Canada, I know Canada for a fact. If, even if you have an advanced degree, 
they still want your but anyway 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 Great. Now I got an outro. I should have 